All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two of season five of Chatting with Creators. I'm joined by Max today to talk about their score for The Tank. Max, for anyone who missed our one-day release of The Tank, how would you describe it to someone before they go digitally download it? It is a thrill ride that is going to keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time with some stunning imagery and some really great scares. Gosh. That's my two-liner. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I wasn't prepared for it to like be scary at all when I got the screener. I was just like, ah, oh, this is a creature feature. This is going to be fine. And then I was like, oh, oh, th this was not, this is not Godzilla. Yeah, it's very, very intimate and very, um, very uh, worst case scenario type feel. And he really keeps you kind of right. Uh, the director keeps you there the whole time. and doesn't let go. Yeah. So one thing that I, you know, I like doing research and seeing the other interviews you've done before you come on here. And one thing you talk about is really wanting to make it sound ancient because the tank is this not benevolent, but just old mm -hmm. being. Um, what does that mean to you in terms of soundscape for something to sound ancient? When you hear a sound and you're like, oh, that's old. What does that mean? There has to be, the first word that came to mind is like a rattle or like a groan and something that tells you that these instruments are imperfect and that it was kind of this prehistoric technology or something that tells you that if you were running from this creature millions of years ago, thousands of years ago, you might be hearing something similar and it can't be too polished. It can't be too friendly. It shouldn't be sophisticated. It shouldn't be like a modern thriller. It needs to have this kind of historical somehow feel to it. And so achieving that helps make the audience feel like it could be any time, really. Yeah. When I think of, like, these old things coming to life, i not going to lie. I think of my grandpa. He's in his mm. mid-80s, and he <laughs> sounds so upset every time he wakes up. <laughs> and so, don't get me wrong, I love my grandpa. My grandpa is not a monster. But the sounds that he makes when he rises out of bed in the morning, you would think that he was. Yeah, and yeah. so I just, I just imagine resting for even longer and somebody waking you up. Yes. I, too, would be violent. <laughs> yeah, imagine, yeah, you're supposed to be resting. Yeah, someone just uh, interrupts your slumber. I think that's a great comparison. Just that, and I think as a film composer, doing what you just did, that's the perfect way to think about a lot of this stuff is how do you relate it to something you're familiar with? Anything. Because any film, you know, we can't have experienced everything. So like an actor, how do you get yourself into that zone? What? So we have, you know, these scraping metals, these rocky sounds, very like Shazam finding the old temple. Um mm when we get to this old sense, how did you get from point A to point B with figuring out what sounds you wanted to use? Like, was this, you know, the soundscape that came out on day one or did you go through a few drafts? I think 
doing what you just talked about and creating the element of mystery and wonderment before the stakes go up and before there's this huge element of danger, that that wasn't the first thing that happened. And kind of messing with these these, again, imperfect string harmonics and this kind of uh, slowly evolving texture when they're, they're first coming into contact with what they don't really know yet. It has to be wondrous. And, and you mentioned, um, you mentioned uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, and I was thinking, um, or Indiana Jones, rather, I was thinking uh, a little bit of E.T. because to think about what it's like to come into contact with something before you really know you have to give a little information, but not too much, in terms and musically speaking. Like it can't be a full theme just yet. It's like, oh, it's a hint of something. When did ET come out? Oh my gosh. Um, I ET came out. I was I was right for this joke that I am about to make. ET yeah. definitely is when I think of old because um, it came out <laughs> before I was born. Um, well, may have come out before I was born too. When did it come out? 82. I'm, I was born in 89. So, so there you go. ET is old. <laughs> Confirmed. That is an old Muppet. Okay. Yeah. Beside the point, I make a lot of dumb jokes on this podcast. I don't think that was dumb. I think that was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I, appre- I appreciate the banter. Oh gosh. People, people do not come on here for my lecture voice. so anyway a little more technical so one thing that i was surprised but not surprised about was the detuning of the strings that you did for the orchestra i think especially for these more mysterious c thriller like films especially with the unknown it's becoming a lot more popular um like i know we had the um composers for sx servant on last season and they tuned the entire orchestra down a third Mm-hmm. Um, cool. what did you do in order to go about your process of detuning the orchestra and, um, did the string players mumble about their pegs? Uh, they did not. They, they, they like it. I think these days players are used to having unusual things asked of them. Um, but recording, I didn't tune everything down by a third say, but I did, um, let's say I recorded a cello line and I may have kind of within the line do some slightly detuning so these small tiny little etches um, but something I did do is I may have taken a bass sound and I pitched it up an octave and then take I took a violin sound and pitched it down three octaves so kind of oh, switching holes wow. which is it you know for someone who wasn't a classical musician you'd think, oh, they're strings, so it's just switching. But something really unusual happens, and I'm sure we would need a scientist to tell us exactly how and why it all sounds kind of wonky and and kind of weird, but we as film composers, as you know, like that stuff, where mm-hmm. it's a sound that we are familiar with, but there's something off about it. So that's kind of exactly what we're always looking for. I mean, part of it, I have to imagine, is somewhat psychological because when you're going through the pedagogy of learning how to play your instrument, you very much learn what the role of that instrument is in the orchestra, mm-hmm. speaking as 
you know, a clarinetist, we learn very differently how we're supposed to phrase things as a soprano clarinetist versus when we're playing bass clarinet because you have a different role to play. Right. And that becomes kind of like inherent. Where yeah. So your violin player, they're not going to be playing like it's a bass line. Right. Exactly. And then you also just have the scientific thing of sine waves and nodes that I'm not going to pretend that I completely understand. I mean, I, t- I passed orchestration. <laughs> I'm sure you more than passed. I, I did. I got a 98, but that's not. Okay. All right. You're here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And the time it takes to get from one note to another uh, changes between instruments. So I think that's really the main, if I had to pinpoint a technical thing that I could put my finger on, it would be that where a bassist might, uh, take longer to go from one note to another, or at least we perceive it that way. And a violin might be faster. So once you switch those two, that's when you get something that's, that's uh, tasty and unusual. Regardless of the last time you practiced, what is your main instrument? Piano. Ah, well, you guys get to prepare things sometimes. Yeah, that's right. We get to prepare things. Uh, Yeah. I mean, as usual, I think once you kind of get into it, you, it's easy to stop practicing the technical stuff and the scales, but obviously I'm, my hands are on the piano every day, but would Mm. I perform, would I perform Rachmaninoff the way I did in college? No, sadly. One of my peers, uh, their student just performed rock two with a symphony and they're 17 and like the heck I can't do rock two now, but I'm also a clarinetist. So like I could never do rock two, but that has a great moment in it for clarinet, doesn't it? The second movement. Thank you. Yeah. That that's probably, probably top five, top 10 favorite pieces. I think the same with a lot of people, but I think the first time you hear that piece, it's so beautiful that you you just can't help but fall in love with it. And it's so much fun. I mean, speaking of orchestration, just like everyone has a great part. Yeah. I mean, except uh, for the bassoons, but nobody cares about them anyway. <laughs> I, I haven't looked at that score in a long time, but I'll have to check it out. But yeah, it's kind of got it all. It's got the fun, fast stuff, the slow, emotional stuff. It's it's really per- practically, it is a perfect piece. <laughs> Shout out to the mayor of Boston, who cl- she has a grand piano in her uh, office, and she claims that she plays rock too for fun. I don't know if that's true, but... <sighs> That's, that's an interesting hobby. That's a oh that's, that's a charged claim. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway, back to the focus because like that's what that's why your publicist brought you here. Okay. <laughs> so talk to me about like capturing the creature, the tank. How do you think of them? Do you think of them like dialogue-wise, like the tank, or do you think of them as like the creature? How are you thinking of this character? They're the creature. The creature. The okay. Creature because they they don't really know what it is at first so there's there's always this element of mystery it's not like it's a known villain they're they're all they're searching for what this thing is and what it can do and they're afraid and just thinking about um hearing it and they're kind of looking around they want to know what it is so capturing that sense of mystery and excitement um, and it tells me I have to develop the theme slowly and not overuse it. That's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Well, something I was thinking about is how like the theme and just everything sort of shifts based off of the creature's motion. 
which we don't always know what's happening. I mean, it's a thriller. You're not going to see it a lot of the time. Also, seeing it is expensive in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're like creating these motions and you have like almost these slithering feelings of like you can feel it on your skin even when you know it's not there. Was this some, how did this decision come to be in like just terms first of cue sessions and then just recreating it musically? Planning out the whole movie had to be done before I really dug in and scored all of the cues because as you said, choosing the moments to do the theme so that we really feel its presence or let's say having two minutes pass by of just kind of waiting and simmering and tension before we hear it again so that I'm not constantly using it. And that's really the trick with these sorts of movies is, is, is planning it. So mm-hmm. everything feels intentional and the perfect amount of time passes by. So you're reminded that this thing is lurking before you hear it again. Oh my gosh. I love that word, first of all, lurking. It's just a great word. It is a good word. Uh, no, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, this is not like a particularly long film, like lengthwise. So you, and also, I mean, especially with such a prominent being, it's really easy for that theme to become tiresome. But I really like how it is placed throughout and just enough that you know what it means without it being like, oh my gosh, this thing again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because if you do that, then it becomes comical and predictable and it kind of ruins the whole genre. That's the point of the genre is that you're on the edge of your seat. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of leads me into my next question of like creature features are often seen as inherently like these cheesy things. I mean, like I said, I did it. I went into it not really anticipating it to be a thriller. I was like, oh, this is going to be like Godzilla eats Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not um most definitely isn't but it's really easy to in my opinion like accidentally almost lean into the tropes of what makes something cheesy was this something that you like thought about when you were writing it I know it's something that would come into my brain absolutely I think it's a great question I I did crawl a couple years ago and it really you learn those lessons you really learn um, when the director will say, no, it's too much here, wait, or you just get the sense that it's on the nose. And I think it's something that comes with practice, really. It really, it's just about practice and about knowing that it's, you know, you've gone too far because that, that's really the mistake with thrillers that you go too far. So it's knowing how and when to rein it in. And it's just practice. It's just writing thousands of cues and just knowing that you're either getting it or you're not. And, and I think the way to do that is sometimes if you write a, a batch of stuff and then let's say you take a break from it for a couple of days and you go back and you start to learn to know if it's working or if it's not, because you may have scored the cue perfectly academically, but if you watch two scenes before and watch into it and you think, oh man, I'm doing that thing again. And then you've got to, you've got to make a change. Yeah. I think it's so interesting learning just those inherent differences between different genres and styles of films that you don't necessarily get in school even though you you know you talk about them you study them but like it's so much different gaining that experience like I mentioned earlier 
um, before we started filming, I'm a year out of undergrad. I'm just now doing my first animated film yeah. and I am learning to like go f- full ass at every single moment Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like, oh, now I'm going to have a slow development. It's like, no, now, now, now. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that difference between, um, yeah, if you were writing an hour-long symphony, yeah, you develop things slowly, but right when, when the filmmaker wants you to get going now, you, you do it. So a little bit of a spoiler flash here. <laughs> what do you think, what cue took the most takes for you on this film? The most takes... I'm thinking um, there's a really long cue on the album. I'd have to, I can quickly just, just so I can know the name, but it kind of has a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. there's action, there's tension, there's emotion, um, and it's long. So it has to do the hardest parts of the movie in like one six to seven minute stretch. Um, they're running outside they're in the water. They um, they go upstairs into the house. Um, then they meet up as a family, and then one of them has to go and do something heroic. So it's creating this tapestry that has to be perfectly smooth. And um, to be honest, I got it pretty close to right. I think on the first time, but it, but it's about nailing all the intricacies and the. And the transitions that that took the longest, I think. Nice. Yeah. Oh my god. So also today is the limited theatrical release. Are you gonna go? That's right. I'm gonna go. I'm going tonight. I'm I'm gonna go home, and I'm gonna go with some friends, and my parents are gonna go. So I'm very excited about it. We're going. Oh on my gosh, that's awesome. Sunset. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I'm fancy. I got the screener. I unfortunately can't go see it in theaters because I have an opera tonight. You have the opera tonight. Yes. Are, you, are you in LA? I am not. I'm Boston. Yeah, that's right. You're still in Boston. Yes, okay. doing the grad school thing. One year oh, left, nice. and then we'll see. Great. We'll see what happens next. Cool. LA is definitely on the list. On the list. Yeah. Though okay. every though a lot of people are coming out for the video game music event at Berkeley on Monday. So I'm gonna see a bunch of people then anyway. Got it. Very cool. Yeah, Stephanie and Walt and um, Chandler and everyone's coming out. Nice. Gonna be cool. But no, <laughs> the White Bear PR has been trying to get me to like finally make the LA switch for like the past year. Mm-hmm. Even though Andrew just moved to New York. Andrew. Andrew Crop. He was uh, with White Bear for a while. Got it. And now oh, he's yeah. also doing video games. Really. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Even though things have gone remote in so many ways, I think to get your start, there's still these places where it's um, people would recommend to touch down and whether it be New York or LA or London or something like that. It seems like there's still the places. It is. I, w- I was supposed to like do my internships like either on the coast or I had a study abroad in London that got canceled three times. Uh, Because I made the mistake of being born in the year 2000 and not taking a gap year or anything before going to college. So I had COVID for three out of four years of undergrad. I'm sorry. So like, 
that was part of the reason I decided to go to grad school because I was like, I did, I did smart. not get everything out of college that I was supposed to. Yeah, very smart. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, now I'm in Boston. I work for three really great companies in addition to doing freelance work. I'm here for another year and then we'll see what happens. Great. I've got a lot of interesting things on the fire, but that's under NDA. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to give specifics. You have no idea how many episodes of this podcast have had to be deleted because people say things they're not supposed to say. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, it happens. It happens. Most of the time it's by accident, but yeah, it happens. It happens. Oh, oh yeah. Especially because like, so I've been going to like San Diego Comic Con and stuff since I was eight, which was how I like first got to know the people at White Bear PR was just because I was going to panels and stuff. Um, But like there's some composers that I'll have come on the show and they've known me for so long. They'll like occasionally forget that it's being recorded. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll, po- I'll post the podcast and then I'll get an email from someone a week or two later and like, uh, yeah, we weren't supposed to say that. We need to take it down. Can you can you slice or or do they want the whole episode down? Um, I've had both. Yeah. Um I it tends to be that the bigger the release, the more likely it is they'll just want it straight up taken down. Wow. Um, but that'll end up being a company decision, not necessarily a composer decision. Yep. I mean that's why for like this one I'm not too concerned not saying the tank isn't big I mean it is big that's part of the film but (laughs) we're not not talking about the next MCU surprise character (laughs) which Uh, I know something about you wouldn't be the first MCU composer I've had on this show. No, no, not, 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 not yet. Hopefully, one and day you also be- wouldn't be the first one to say something I had to cut later. Yep. Yep. No, n- not naming any names. People can go search for that later. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So finally, as I said, I like looking people up and doing all these things before I have them come up. And what stood out to me about your portfolio is previous sci-fi music you've done. How would you compare this kind of work, this kind of music, to your work in the Star Wars universe? That's yeah, pretty different. But but I think you you're touching on the fact that with with any whether it be sci-fi, tension, action, you need to create an ambiance that. Uh, the characters are not safe and that they're, whether it be like a master supervillain or a creature. So it's just employing these techniques and as a composer, your toolkit to be able to write music that um, tells a story and um, creates this thriller kind of sensibility. So with Star Wars, there's a lot more characters. So there's a lot more themes. So I think the music has a different pace because at any moment any character might pop up so you you have to always be ready to service that character and that character's theme and I think the same goes for the tank but it's more stripped down in terms of the story elements so in these in these longer stretches say when the characters are looking running walking the music can be more minimal um, musically and in terms of pitch content, but in terms of 
the type of sounds that I need to create and the evolving of textures, that's something uh, that requires more work. So I guess to answer that succinctly, it would be same goal, but uh, different techniques to achieve. Nice. I like that. <laughs> okay. Now I have one more question and it is an homage to all my musicologist friends who talk about chants all the time. Mm -hmm. um, this simple motif that you have in the film is described as being like an ancient chant. Did you have any actual kind of chant in mind? No, the answer is no, but the answer, the answer is no, but that's the fun thing about musicology is that we've all heard all this stuff. And so whether or not we think it, know it, or, or are willing to admit it, I'm sure everything, all of us are, have this catalog and it's all blended together in our head. Um, but there was not a specific chant. I'm trying to think if there there was, but there wasn't. I think I think I wrote the figure first, and then I was listening to it, you know, as I was going along, and I thought, oh, it's like a chant. It's like mm -hmm. this simple or a mantra. This simple repeating mantra is what I felt like it was, and I probably did it subconsciously, realistically. Yeah. Thank you. I have to ask because like I've had times where I like go to a film with a musicologist and there'll be some kind of chanting or chant like thing in it and we'll come out and they'll be like, that was definitely Byzantine chant. I'm like, maybe. Yeah, I better look up these Byzantine characters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Max, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been a great time. Final question. Is there anything that you think music nerds should like have an ear out for as they go to the theater tonight or, you know, download this later? Hmm. I think it's just about having fun. The goal is that with, with this sort of score is that you're so focused that the audience member might not, you know, point and pick out every single second of the movie and say, oh, I love that hummable tune. The goal is that uh, I want to create the most intense possible atmosphere as directed by the director. And I, I think we achieved that. And I think anybody going will just have a lot of fun uh, in, the, uh, in the theater. So I hope everyone enjoys it. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Have a great time in the theater tonight. You deserve it. Great job. <laughs> thanks, Sapphire. Thank you. Bye. Bye.